What is going on? It is the blizzard of 2022. Tom Brady is retiring, maybe. Dogs and cats living together, absolute bedlam. And the Mental Health Role Models podcast is back. Lots of things went into the past year uh, stepping away from the podcast just because it was, it's been a crazy year. Um, I'm back. And it's, it's all because I have a few friends on Twitter that have really been encouraging and talking about mental health. And so I was kind of like, oh man, maybe I'll bring the podcast back. And then I got a little bit more into marketing Twitter and people were talking about losing their podcasts and starting podcasts. And I was like, ah, man, I guess I'll join this conversation. Yeah, I'm a lapsed podcaster. I've been out of the game for a year. And I got the itch again. And so I kind of started reaching out to people again. And I, here I am. Um, I, it, it's out of my comfort zone again, which is, which is fine. Um, and, um, but I've, I've, Got a few people lined up, and the today's is um, Diana, and she is a wonderful human being. And I, she was kind of what inspired me to start talking mental health again on social. I, it was one of those kind of happenstance. I followed her; she followed me. She's very encouraging and has some awesome tidbits about mental health. She's the editor-in-chief of Dord Magazine, which is the self-proclaimed Vanity Fair of of mental health. So, I mean, it's, um, I, I, I don't know how to describe the feeling of being back. Um, this, this episode actually was very enlightening to me as we were talking because, um, we, we were discussing different things and we discussed my hiatus from the podcast and, and I, it, she's, uh, Deanna said to me, she said, um, if, if it's hitting the ears of people that need to hear it, that's all that matters. And, uh, that, that was enough. <laughs> that was enough to get me going. Um, again with the podcast. So get ready. Um, uh, I got some few, a few more episodes lined up and, um, I'm going to stay stay positive. If you guys have any insight on people you want to hear from, uh, people who I've had in the past year or in the first, what was it, seven episodes, eight episodes that you want to hear from again, um, feel free to reach out and, and let me know. If you want to be on the podcast again, my, my people that were in my first few episodes, let me know. Um, I'm excited. Uh, it's it's fun to talk about. It's, it's chaotic. Um, since, since the last time I, my kids started real school, um, (laughs) not pandemic school, real school. And it's, it's been, (laughs) it's been an adventure. It's, it's put a, it's put a bunch of focus on keeping my kids mental health straight, which is, it's, um, it's a challenge, especially with, with me having my anxiety, depression, episodes and whatnot, but I think I have myself in check enough that I can, I can lend and lend a hand to my kids, you know, <laughs> but so I'm not, I'm not going to talk too long because, um, 
Deanna and I talked for quite a long time and I want to make sure you guys stick around and listen to the whole thing. And um, so en- enjoy. And it, like I said, if if you have any feedback, let me know. Hey everyone, we're here with Diana Vilich. How are you, Diana? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome, and um, I I'm pretty pumped to have nailed your name because I practice <laughs> and I have it written out phonetically in front of me. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, uh, so you are the editor in chief of Dord Magazine, and you are a personality on Twitter that I enjoy following because you always have awesome mental health tidbits. And I kind of wanted to bring you on and just, just discuss your history with mental health and, and being, and being so open and honest about it. So tell us a little bit about you. Tell us in a little bit about your history in the mental health game. Yeah. So I'm kind of one of those people who's a few things. I'm an author. I'm an editor chief of Dord start a lot of businesses that are around like destigmatizing certain things like fitness, um, sexual wellness, mental health, all that great stuff. But ultimately, I think I'm one of those people who just, my biggest goal in life is to completely just love everything. I want to send as much love out into the world as I can. And a big part of that is just kind of helping people not feel alone. So in whatever facet I can do that, that's my biggest and greatest joy. And I got to start with mental health. See, it's kind of hard because I've never actually sought out to be a person who was in the mental health space or in the field. I never really thought about mental health that way. I was always that person who I would just talk about hard topics no matter what. It was just my natural state. I always read those really hard to read books and I wasn't shy about anything. Um, I grew up in this really amazing community that was super diverse. It's one of the most diverse in all of Michigan. My school district was filled with people who were super, super wealthy or people who were like bottom complete broke. And there was never really any in between. I think as of now, it's something like 78 languages are spoken in it. When I was there, it was like people from, I think about 59 different countries. And so it was this really great place to grow up because you got to see a lot of the world and people encourage us to have hard conversations. Like when I was in debate class, we would talk about things like um, health rights for people who are who identify as trans, or we talk about things like gay marriage. Back in 2010 or 2009, we would talk about how we were living in a place that had a big zoning crisis or homeless populations, how education was kind of put on this high facet where it's like everything has to be so important, but then we would kind of price people out of the educational system. And we were allowed to have these hard conversations and to ask these questions and to be really curious. And so for me, this was just really natural was to talk to my friends about their mental health. Like I know a bunch of my friends who they would spend a weekend in an in-treatment facility and then they'd come back and they'd say, yeah, last week I was at, you know, this treatment facility. And that was like a normal thing. It wasn't like a thing where you necessarily bragged that you were doing it, but there wasn't necessarily a stigma around saying, hey, you know, I tried to kill myself last weekend. And that, that sounds really weird to say, I think. Um, it's not a thing that a lot of people necessarily would talk about, especially in this big culture. But for some reason, 
that wasn't a big deal for my friends to say. Like I have a friend who he went to rehab for two months. He didn't really tell anybody until like a lot later, but he just told me, it's like, yeah, you know, I, I was really struggling. And so my parents took me to this and, you know, I was gone for a month or two. And I think that's a lot of what framed my conversation around mental health is the fact that I was so used to every single conversation being talked about, whether or not, you know, it was this big conversation or if we talked about it, like the weather, like it was never this thing that you felt like you couldn't say anything. Like I remember telling, yeah, I remember even telling teachers things like, Hey, you know, my friends are not having like a good mood. Like, you know, their grandma just died or I'm like really concerned about them. Like, I don't know what, like they're different. Can I go and skip, you know, 30 minutes of class just to go sit outside with them in the hallway or whatever. And I think it was because I was an honor student. So my teachers trusted me, but that was completely allowed. Like it was easy for us to just say, Hey, you know, can we go and sit into a gym class or something? Because I'm not mentally here. Um, I know in like my biology class, if we weren't necessarily fully into class right now, we could just say, hey, you know, can we go hiking instead? And the teacher would split the class in half. And then the student teacher would go and teach something or he would take us hiking. And then the teacher would teach and they would give us about the same lessons, but it was just in a different environment. And that sounds really weird to say, like I grew up in this kind of fantasy land where, you know, mental health wasn't stigmatized. I'm so jealous. But I know it was, it was a really great and you got to experience a lot of different interests too, which I think also helped with the whole mental health thing. And I think that's why I'm such an idea person because I never had my ideas just kind of shot down. It was always like, yeah, well, maybe that's not realistic, but it was never saying, well, you can't do that. Cause I grew up in a school where we have an actual art gallery inside of it. Oh, that's awesome. And like they bring judges from around the country once a year to go look at student art. And we have Olympians who come from the school and you know, I think everything that I am is because I grew up in that environment. And so to me, things like following your ideas, talking about mental health, um, being a part of really hard conversations, wanting to learn more is so natural. And I went to college and then immediately you didn't do any of that. And I went to college really close to my high school. So it was weird. Oh, that's, that's strange. You'd, you'd think that it would kind of carry over into, into that community if, if it's so close. It's kind of in this weird parallel where I grew up in this super diverse area and then about five miles away from it is this kind of complete country area where it's super, super, um, it's it very much like super pro-Trump, super, um, like for example, I did take a diversity class and I remember the entire time people were complaining about why do I have to take a diversity class and they were like saying slurs in class like it was oh, this geez. normal thing. And for me, that was, I remember like the first time I heard someone use a racial slur in class, like just openly, I went into my car and I cried because like, that was such like, it realized like, oh my God, I'm not in the world I used to be in. Like, this is what life is actually like. Like I was so sheltered thinking, oh, everyone has like this acceptance of all these hard topics and of diversity and of different, you know, races and different genders and all this stuff. Like that was, that made sense to me. That was all I knew. And then to see people just so blatantly, you know, make fun of people who maybe dressed a little too feminine if they were male or who were obviously struggling with their mental health. And it was just, it was so weird to me. Um, And and I don't know, I I think, yeah. And and now you're leading that conversation. Like that's, that's why I think this, (laughs) that's why I think it's so cool is the, the fact that you, you came from that world in high school 
kind of mm-hmm. took a step out into uh, the, the real world. Um, but, yeah. but, and the, but now you're, you're bringing what you had in high school to the real world and, and educating those people that need that. And, and that's awesome. Yeah. yeah and I think that, cause it, there's never going to be one person who can do everything, but I think that I, my biggest thing is like, I want to just try and move the conversation forward. Right. I know that I can't actually change the entire conversation. Like no one's going to look at me and say, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to go and make my business better because someone ran a magazine that did don't that, that, and then that eventually I do want to actually branch into that and to focus on more measurable things like helping HR departments and actual companies. But as of now, no one's looking at what I'm doing and saying, well, you know what, let's take measurable things, but I'm starting the conversation. And, 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 I and, think and that's, that's, that's what yeah. I'm trying to do here is, is mm-hmm. encourage that conversation to be had. And especially as, as a man, you'll probably hear my children. So don't, don't worry. Oh. Um, so, so like, I, I just want to have that conversation, especially as a man in such a yeah. kind of weird situation. I want to break that stigma or at least take a step into breaking that stigma because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's unfair to have that expectation to be macho and, and not have yeah. feelings like, so that that's, that's, I feel you on that one. Yeah, it's actually a big reason why I wanted to do all of this. So I think that's why I started talking about all this. Cause like, I never really sought out to be like, I'm going to go talk about mental health. It was just this person who's super important to me one day said that he felt, he felt like a freak. I was like sitting there with it. And I was like, I think you're the coolest person I've ever met and listing all of these amazing things. And then I kind of sat there the next day and I was like, wait, wait a minute, I think I'm a mess up. And I started like looking around me. I was like, wait, everyone thinks they're like a complete screw up. Everyone thinks there's something wrong with them. And that was kind of the running thing with Dord. Um, I opened up like Apple news one day and I saw there's no magazine that's talking about mental health in the way that I wanted to talk about it. So I was like, well, you know, we all think we're freaks. Why do we think that? What would actually help it? And then when I was like, you know what, what happens if I start a magazine? Like that, whatever, right. If it fails its first issue, amazing. But like, fine, what happens if I just start? And I started and it, I don't think the first issue was necessarily amazing, but everyone loved it. Cause they're just like, this is something. And then second issue and third issue and excuse me, I think I had like a little hiccup. Um, (laughs) We're getting real here. Um, But you know, you keep doing these issues and you start realizing like people are starving for something that makes them feel okay. And I think that the general rule of life is really, you can either complain that there's so much darkness everywhere. Like a lot of people do, right? Like the world, everyone says the world's a pit fire. Like we can't do anything or you can light a candle. And maybe your candle can't expand everywhere and change everything, but I don't think that's the point of life. I think the point of life is to love people and help people in the way that is very unique to you. And I'm totally, I'm, I'm, to, I'm totally stealing that candle bit too. Like that, that's, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I can't remember who I heard that from. I think it was like this line that I just randomly picked up in a book and I, if I can find it, I will let you know, but <laughs> it's, it's like my favorite kind of go-to to describe everything. Cause it's like, look, we can either sit here and we can say, you know what, screw the system, screw the world. Like, I hate how we talk about this. I hate how we do this. I hate how there's a billion things wrong with everything. Or I can say, Hey, you know what? 
I am a person, like I probably can't change everything, right? But maybe I can do a train reaction. Maybe if I can talk about mental health, I can stop someone from killing themselves or I can have someone have a hard conversation. Um, I, you've probably heard me say this a lot on Twitter, but I have this very firm belief that, like, I think we're all this big connected tapestry. So, you know, everyone's like, you know, what's the point of suffering? What's the point of all this pain? And I say, there's no path, like this is the path whatever path we're on, there's no sense of free will. I think we are what we are. There's this Bosnian word called nafaka, which is a word that I grew up on. And the idea is when you're born, God places everything that's ever gonna happen to you in your head. And that's, that's that, like that is your thing. And all your job is, is to fulfill that. So you're kind of just on the ride. And a lot of people have issues with that whole idea. And I did for the longest time until I kind of started going through all these points of suffering and doing all of this, like helping people and trying to do door and trying to come up with all these ideas and finding myself. And I realized, you know what? There's no path. If I, if there was a better way to do something, it would have been done already. Like if I, like you talk, you hear me talk a lot about like blessings and stuff like yep. that. Oh yeah. It's yeah. It's kind of like that is like, you know what? Every single thing that we, that we ever do, it's all connected in this tapestry, right? So we're all these like little fragments of a tapestry and by us kind of just continuing forward in life, we bless other people and we help them on their path and all that stuff. And we're all connected. So like when we sit here and we're like, well, you know, why is this so hard right now? Or why am I in so much pain? There's kind of a point to that, right? Because like, if I talk about my pain, I don't know how many people I'm inspiring. Or if I, even by something as simple as I take a different route to like a coffee shop and then maybe I cut in front of somebody and they're saved from getting hit by a car or whatever. Like that's how things are weirdly connected in some weird, perfect divine chaos. And I think I forgot the point of the original question. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't, doesn't matter. I'm, I'm usually really articulate, but probably not as articulate as I think so, I am. So but, it's, um... <laughs> it, it's funny. It's funny that you like mentioned the, the road because when because mm -hmm. my my road was was crazy is I went from sports and it was something I was totally zoned in on and I thought it was like it, it you've probably seen soul right like Disney soul yeah. um so that was my that was my passion like that's what I thought mm -hmm. I was put on this earth to do and then when I started losing it it was kind of like I thought my world was crumbling but then I, I realized like okay I have this colleague who she was really she was really successful doing really great she came out with an article um in milwaukee magazine and it explained like i have crippling anxiety crippling depression and i i was just like wow you're able to use this platform that you have to be open and you've made that impact on me mm -hmm. being open and then it kind of was like i a waterfall effect like then now I created this and and stuff like that mm -hmm. so it's it's it it almost it almost plays into that tapestry feel that you were just talking about yeah and actually to kind of segue into that um or segue from that that's actually really what all humans want right like that's what relationships is that's what love is um like for me I think I started on this path to try and help people with mental health and I realized every single thing I do always comes back to love whether or not it's love of myself or love of someone else or romantic love or friendship love or just helping people love better. I think that's kind of the center of everything is just straight up love. And 
all that. Um, you hear a lot of people kind of go on this spiritual journey and then they come back from all this pain and everything. And they say the point is love. Like the point is like, you know, God is love. Um, yourself is love, energy is love, like all of that stuff. And I always thought like, that's so silly. Like, what do you, what? And especially for me, cause I was this person who four years ago, I was chasing a career. Like I wanted to go in advertising. I wanted to be a big head. I wanted to have, you know, cans and Addies and all this stuff. Like that was my goal since I was seven. I guess it was one of my goals since I was seven. And I got to 17 at that point, I started questioning, like, do I really want to do marketing or do I want to do something creative? And then I followed that and I kept following marketing, no matter how many times I kept questioning, like, do I actually want to do this? It doesn't feel right. Because I was like, well, I, it seems like I really want all these awards and I want that. And I want the career. And, you know, once I got it, I realized this doesn't fulfill me. And there's something horrible about being that I was 21 getting the dream jobs I've always wanted. And I realized, holy shit, I don't want this. Like it didn't, it didn't feel like anything. It felt like I was losing myself as I was doing these things that I thought I wanted because, you know, I didn't know who I was at seven or even now, like when I was 21, I had no idea who I'd be at 25. And I think that like, that's kind of a good catalyst for a lot of growth and a lot of that development is we start to realize who we are, the more we hit that low. And when we talk about that, so like when I talk about my career or I talk about love or pain or like my favorite topic, which is, you know, all the changes that love makes us go through, we kind of allow other people to be a part of that conversation. And what I realized with Dord is we're all holding our breath, waiting for somebody to give us permission to just say things. Like we're all holding our breath for somebody to say, hey, I have OCD and I'm super anxious and you know, I'm scared of this and I'm totally terrified, like completely irrationally that I'm gonna get cheated on. And you know, I'm anxious about my career and I'm, I feel like a failure. Like everyone's holding their breath to like find someone who's gonna say those things and to actually be real because we just wanna breathe and say, me too. Like, holy crap, yes, I feel that way. I feel anxious. I feel like, you know, maybe I haven't slept in days because I'm so terrified of X or Y. Like we're looking for people to give us permission to not be perfect. And there's something that we find as a strength to like, to people who are just themselves, right? And if you ask me, um, you know, do you think you're brave or do you think that you're strong? I'd say like, absolutely not. Like for me, I just, I'm doing what I'm doing. Right. But when you ask people who know me, like, Hey, do you think that she's like brave? Do you think that this is awesome that she does this? Everyone's going to say yes. And I don't know why, but I think a lot of it comes down to, I'm not afraid if you think that there's something wrong with me, because at the end of the day, you're not living with me. I am, but you know, like for me in your story, I may be a passing figure, but in my story, I'm not a passing figure. I'm the center of my freaking story. And I think that that's kind of what we're all looking for is for somebody to be so real and say, Hey, by the way, I feel like a freak. Therefore you are not a freak. Or we're looking for somebody to say, you know what? I'm not as perfect as you think I am. Like I took a big break from Twitter and my DMS filled with everybody being like, wait a minute. I didn't know you felt that way. And what's funny is I've been talking about like how I've been feeling for the past, maybe two or three weeks. I just think that nobody's kind of figured it out because they're so used to like their idea of me. And so if something doesn't fulfill that whole, oh, she's positive. She's super excited about everything. 
then you know it, we don't necessarily catch it right because it doesn't fulfill the expectation that you put on somebody and that's the thing that the brain naturally does like that isn't because people are bad it's because that's how the brain compartment comp- comp- <laughs> oh come on come on say it <laughs> Com- compartmentalize <laughs> yes I'm having a Friday. Um, but yeah, like that's what we do is we try and put people into these categories because that's how the brain and our hippocampus actually processes information, right? If we didn't do that, we wouldn't be able to process information. We'd be like, oh my God, there's too much going on. I'm too aware of everything, which we actually do see in a lot of people, but I'll get I'll, you know, neuroscience aside. And that's kind of what I think we're all just kind of, I don't know. Like, I think we're all really looking for somebody who you can literally hear my dog right there. Yeah. Yeah. That was, like, <laughs> um, <laughs> he has a, he has opinions, <laughs> but we're all looking for people to say, you know what you, what you expect of me or what you think of me isn't accurate. I feel a lot more like you than you realize. So I, so I love, I love, I love the segue yeah. that you went, you went into social <laughs> media because you you just follow. I, I don't remember what led me to follow you. I think it was just kind of mm-hmm. a a post, and I was like, yeah, that, that, I, I I agree with that. I think I'm going to follow you. Um, yeah. But your your Twitter is it's it's so open and honest, and just like it it inspires me. Like it for I would I've been talking to you about writing different things right I want to I want to write my children's book and and I wrote I wrote a piece for you and I I basically I basically told you like I thought it was bad but and please tear it apart and you and you instantly said I don't like self-deprecating humor stop Mm -hmm. it and I was like yeah okay and 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 now now it's in my head that I'm Mm -hmm. I whenever I, whenever I start to make a self-deprecating humor joke, I yeah. stop. I've, I've yeah. been stopping that because I, I Good. don't, I don't like it now either. It bothers mm-hmm. me. And yeah, just, I have a story about that. <laughs> now, well, now I need to hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, I, okay. So you hear a lot about on my Twitter, if anyone who was ever follow me, this is like a big topic of mine is I've been talking a lot about like toxic friendships and how to heal from having toxic friendships. And a big thing is I grew up with a lot of people who were very much like making fun of each other, making fun of themselves. And so I thought this was so normal. And so when people were treating me badly, I was like, yeah, of course this is normal because for those such a long time is all I heard is people being bad to themselves and being bad to other people. And so I accepted a lot of really crappy treatment of people, especially not necessarily in high school, but mostly in like college and after college is having these really horrible friendships and having these people who were mentally, verbally, um, financially abusive, who just would try and take advantage of you. And they did that because it was so easy to like, I was so used to people being like, oh my God, Deanna, you're so annoying. You talk so much as you know, you're noticing right now as I talk a lot or you go on tangents or like you're too much. Like that was such a big thing is that I'm a lot because I talk a lot about a lot of things or I know a lot about a lot of things or I just, I take up space. I'm one of those people where if I was to walk into a room you're going to notice me either because I'm suddenly excited by everything. I look at the world like a big kid or because I'm that person who for some reason I know the weirdest fact. Like somebody will ask, hey, do you know why the sky's blue? And I'm gonna be like, yes. And do you know what the historians thought that why the sky was blue for such a long time? And let me tell you about how they thought dragons were the reason the sky was blue. And 
you know, I'm that person for whatever reason, that's just the way I naturally am. And for such a long time, literally up until I was 23. So about two years ago, which is really sad to say, is like, I thought like that was what I deserved was to have people tell me bad things about me. And that impacted how I viewed myself. Cause I was like, well, you know what? I am too much. And I like, I had this big idea that, you know what? I don't deserve a good relationship because I I'm a lot and I'm annoying and I can't ever keep my mouth shut. And I look at the world, like, you know, this big creative thing. And most, most people don't do that. And I, I took rejection really hard. And I, I was trying to be a big people pleaser. Cause I was like, don't think I'm weird. Like I'm so normal and holding myself inside. And a big part of that, as I realized was because I was so used to people knocking me down. So I would knock myself down. So it would hurt less. It's like when somebody would say, God, you know what? You're so annoying. I would stop myself. Like, so if we were having a conversation as we are, I would stop myself from saying something. So like, you know what? I'm, I just, I, I go on a tangent, like, sorry, it's not even a good tangent. Right. And that's so subtle, but by doing something like that, I'm already discrediting what I have to say. And in reality, I shouldn't be discredited for what I have to say, you know, unless it's completely wrong. Right. But if I'm sharing an idea or something, there's nothing wrong with that idea. And there's nothing wrong with me being in the room or having the conversation. Like I'm in the room. I deserve to get heard just as you deserve to get heard. And what I realized is like, as I keep talking badly about myself, I keep making these jokes. I'm going to keep allowing people to say these things about me. And even like, so a friend of mine came back into my life briefly for like a three month period. After those I are, think like those two are or always, three years. Those are always the people I know. That, that change everything. No, 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 no. Um, this person. So I, so this person, super great guy, but like, you know, just long-term friend that I grew up and I changed. He did not. So like, you know, we just kind of clashed, but, um, he came back and he's like, at this point, I haven't talked badly to myself in about a year. I haven't accepted people's, you know, crap. I put up really strong boundaries. I've been teaching people about boundaries and all this stuff. And so he came back and he's like, you know, casually making fun of me as a joke. And I'm recognizing, well, yeah, it's because he always used to, like, that's how he's used to us. And I was like, Hey, don't, don't do that. You don't talk to me like that. Like we, we, that's not a thing anymore. And like keeping correcting him, or I would say, no, sorry, I, I don't make jokes like that anymore. Or I don't talk to myself like that. Or I don't talk to other people like that. Or I used to be a really bad gossip. And so I'm like, no, sorry. I, I don't care what that person does anymore. Like that's just not a thing. And at some point it just kind of clashed where it was like, I can't be in your life anymore because I don't know how to talk to you anymore. And I realized it's okay if things like that happen because I can hold myself at a much higher standard now because I'm not knocking myself down for other people. And maybe you, people do find me annoying. Like people may listen to this and be like, wow, she talks a lot, <laughs> right? Or other people may be like, wow, okay. And I'm not, so pretty much, I'm not afraid of being too much for some people or being not enough, or someone may not like me because ultimately it doesn't matter. I'm still going to get in front of the people who need to see me or need to hear me. And this other kind of thing, which is why I'm so good about correcting other people who talk badly about themselves, or at least I try to be, is because if you allow somebody to keep talking badly about themselves or to say something, it's almost as if you agree with them. 
right? And so, for example, when you said, you know, I'm a bad writer, if I didn't say anything, I just kind of like shrugged it off as hell, whatever, then I would be agreeing with you. So in your head, you would have made that association is, oh, she didn't say anything. She must think, oh my God. And your amygdala would start, you know, wiring that. Anytime you write, that would be a fixed memory that you would pull from and that would stop you from writing. And in reality, I don't agree with that, right? Maybe like, you know, maybe you wouldn't be the best writer, but that doesn't mean you're a bad writer. That just means, hey, you got to write a bit more or you got to practice writing or maybe, you know, you need some inspiration or some direction. Doesn't mean that you're bad. It just means that, you know, we can work on it. But if I didn't say anything, I just let you think that, right? So say that then you go to your children's book and you start trying to draft, you're like, why can't I do it? Why do I feel like a failure? Why do I feel, you know, all these things you're going to go into your head and you're going to, your brain automatically, that's what it does. It's going to pick all these memories of people who said, well, he can't do that. And in reality, you made all those conversations up. Most people probably didn't say, oh, you're a bad writer. Most people probably just didn't stop you from thinking that. And so we come up with all these storylines, which I, I think if I probably told you this a lot is what humans do, we come up with these storylines and then we want those people who are in our storylines to disprove the storylines that we wrote. And that's why we have relational conflict. So like, for example, say you and I are talking and I, like, I subtly ask you, Hey, can you go and grab me like a bottle of water from the kitchen real quick? I like, I want to go draft. Right. And let's say you didn't hear me because like you were already on your way out. So you didn't do it. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, my God, he ignored me. Wow. I feel like I feel so ignored. I feel so hated. Like why? I just asked him for a simple thing. And here he is making a big deal about it. See, even dog agrees. Um, and so for me, I'm telling myself this. <laughs> Are you done? No. OK. Um, so for me. <laughs> I'm telling myself the storyline that, oh my God, he hates me. He thinks I'm annoying. All these things, right? You did not do any of that. You literally just walked out of the room, didn't hear me. But in my head, I made up all these things. So next time I see you, I'm waiting for you to disprove that line. And you know, if you don't disprove it, then that's another um, hurt that it gets added, right? Then it hurts more and more and more investors. And in reality, you didn't do anything. Right. And even then for you, right. If I start acting different because I'm waiting, <laughs> my God, these dogs, I'm so sorry. Um, but you know, I guess they're, they're, the, they're the real stars of the show. <laughs> they really are. Um, but don't tell us on that. Cause then they're going to be up here. You're going to start seeing them. <laughs> but like, so if I start acting differently towards you, because I'm like making up these storylines in my head and you're not fulfilling the storyline, then you're going to start acting differently towards me. So you're going to be like, why is she so cold all of a sudden? Did I make her mad? And then you're going to start telling the storyline. And then that's how we get that relational conflict of both people are unable to heal each other. And we're unable to forgive because it's like, well, why did you do this? Right. And it's, it's going to like burst at some point. Right. So it may be like, you know, a month down the line where let's say we go and get lunch and you know, you're five minutes late. And then I just, outburst like, why are you always late you always do this you're never attentive like I can like you're such a bad friend right and that would come out of nowhere but that would be a real feeling that I feel because I've told myself that line and I've made up an image of you right and then for you that would also be a real fulfillment of what you were telling yourself of me where oh my god she's so cold she's so reactive what did I do she must hate me and in reality all of all, everything's there fake. None of it was an actual real conversation or a real thing that happened. It was just, we came up with it. And that's 
so much of, I think like where love comes in is love is actually sacrifice and forgiveness. And that even goes into mental health is love requires us to be ourselves, but also to die of ourselves. So I kind of describe it to people like, look, love is taking up your cross and dying to whatever version of yourself that currently exists. And whether that's for somebody else, right, where you actually learn to accept, you know, in this case, it would be me sitting with my discomfort of my abandonment wounds, my feeling like I'm a freak and realizing, you know what, I need to forgive him, right? I Maybe he does think those things, but I need to forgive him because I can't move this friendship forward if I keep telling myself he's a bad person over and over and over and over again. And that is kind of dying to yourself. Like you're dying to an idea of you or you're dying to an idea that you've held on to, or even it is a sacrifice of me being uncomfortable, right? We don't like, com- we don't like being uncomfortable, which is again, why we stigmatize mental health so much is we don't like that whole like, ooh, this is so icky and gross. When in reality, that's just what things are. Like that's, that's life. I, but lately I've been saying um, we suffer because we love that's just it right like there's everyone always asks like what's the point of suffering why does god allow suffering why do humans suffer and i think it ultimately comes down to because love has to cost something otherwise it's not love and whether or not you know we i guess whether or not we accept love as this non-romantic thing like love is just it is like it's our interaction with other people it's me loving you and seeing you as the person you are, whether or not it's flawed or perfect or whatever, like that's all love. And yeah, I just, a, a lot of stuff there to unpack. <laughs> but the, the, this is, this is part of the reason why I, I really like following you on Twitter. Cause it's just, it's that you always come with something so, like just something that I'm not thinking of or something that really just gets me thinking. Um, mm-hmm. What, you just you did say you took a break from Twitter recently, um, and obviously my my career is in social media, so so I I live in that negativity. Um, what what is what is your interpretation of social media? Is it is it a positive thing for us? Is it a totally a negative thing for us, or is it um, is it something that's still kind of fleshing out and and becoming or becoming what it should be? Mm-hmm. honestly I don't think it's anything I really don't I it's like I it's kind of funny when people have a conversation of well social media is bad or social media is amazing yeah. or whatever because in reality what's the difference between social media and us actually having a conversation right because we all wear masks um you hear me say a lot is like we're living in a theater of actors that's always been the case people have always pretended or glorified or whatever um go into any community of people who are above middle class and you'll see there's a lot of people who are faking right because that's just that's the way it is and you can find it on social media you can find it anywhere um it's always been that way it's part of the human condition so I don't think social necessarily is anything it's just it's another way of interaction now do I think algorithms themselves are very much um predatory especially around children absolutely but that's another conversation but um, social as a whole, it just, it is, right? There's no difference between social versus actual paper mail or, um, you know, talking on the phone or talking face-to-face or what we're doing, which is like a Zoom thing. It, it just, it is. No matter what, human behavior is human behavior. 
And I think that when we focus too much on the actual, like blaming the platform, again, we can blame platforms for some things, right? Like we can blame social media for like election frauds and stuff like that, but actual just platform versus people, humans are humans. And I think that when we blame something like, oh, well, Twitter makes it so easy for us to judge people. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> like we naturally judge people anyway. Um, that's just a human condition thing, right? And so it's easy for us to take an item and to blame the item versus blaming ourselves or blaming other people or all that stuff. And actually, I don't even think we should blame other people because again, it's back to the human condition. And that's just what it is, is, um, we should really be approaching people, I guess I should be very careful with this. We should always approach everyone that we meet, especially on social media. And I really do mean, especially on social media with grace, because we have no idea what they're actually saying. We're losing a lot of things in context because we don't have that voice, that video, that eye to eye contact. That's what, hence why I just say, I want to be careful because someone can take this little snippet and say, well, she's okay with X, Y, Z. And in reality, I'm just saying like social media it requires us to be a bit more graceful to people and to be a little bit more kinder and all that stuff. Cause one, you don't know what someone else is going through. There's a lot of people in my DMS who are like these really big social media figures and they come to me and they're like, God, my mental health is so screwed up. Like I had the worst month. I had the worst week. I like, no one knows if I lost my job or no one knows, but like, I'm, I'm feeling really suicidal and really gross about myself. And then they go on social media and everyone's critiquing them or being mean to them. And it's usually just because there's someone who's a popular figure, like whether it's on marketing Twitter or on Twitter in general, or even Instagram, like people look at these, you know, key figures or these influencers or everyone call them. And they're like, cool, I can go hate on this person. And for me, that's just, it's so silly. It's like hating on the popular kid because they have a prettier car than you. And you know, you have no idea what their home life is like. Like, you don't know what someone sits with. Um, like when I took a break from Twitter and I announced that, that was, it, like for me, I didn't think it was a big deal. I was like, okay, cool. I'll see you guys in two weeks. But for a lot of people, they're like, wait a minute, you're not feeling good. Like I, I that's not what I thought for, of you. I thought you were like killing it. I thought like you're over here just like, you know, making big names for yourself and you're actually not feeling well. Wow. And the real is like, we just, we never know. So I think with social media, it isn't anything like it really isn't any different from face to face because humans are humans, but we really need to just have extra grace for each other. Like we need to just assume the best in everybody instead of assume the worst. But again, that's human condition. That's what we're built for is we're already built to reject and to fight because it hurts too much for us to get disproven that somebody isn't good or somebody doesn't match what our definition of them is. So we just assume the worst and then we hope for the best. But then we kind of get back to that parallel conversation like how we had where it was the, we make up these definitions of people and then we expect them to fulfill it. And if they don't, we have that relational conflict. Right. It's kind of the same thing when we like, we make fun of somebody on Twitter because we just want to feel popular and cool or we assume somebody means something really horrible when in reality it was taken out of a context and that's just, that's all it is, is we keep building that relational pattern, which, but then we see that relational pattern in other things, right? Like we do it differently in our romantic relationships or maybe even our family or Twitter or anything. It's the same pattern over and over and over again. So uh, you're, you're saying approaching people with grace and mm -hmm. we, we previously spoke and you, you also like approaching people with empathy and understanding. 
and just yeah. be, just because it allows people to be vulnerable and and kind of talk about mental health things like that um don't what do you what do you what are your big takeaways from like vulnerability and being vulnerable being open being honest honestly I think um so for me my whole idea of everything that I do I always say um well, I guess it's a segue have you ever read anything Stephen Pressfield I haven't like, but now I'm gonna write okay. now I'm gonna write down his name and, and read some Stephen <laughs> yeah. Pressfield so Stephen Pressfield is a writer. He writes a lot about the burden of being a creative. And he has this book called War of Art, where he talks about this, these things called the muses, which to him, the muses are these divine things sent from above that inspire us to get writing. Like there are ideas. They're like, for me, I think about it as like an angel tells you, hey, go do this. That's your job right now. And you go and you fulfill that thing. And so that's your muses. You get visited by muses. For me, I, I don't think, like, I don't look at myself and think like, oh, you know, I'm going to go out into the world today and be positive and vulnerable and all that stuff. I just sit down and I'm like, okay, what am I doing today? Like, who am I going to be? What, what exactly is everything? And for me, it's like getting kind of like a visit from a muse essentially, but just telling me, okay, go into the world, like go say this, go be yourself. And I kind of like look at things as nothing is ever going to be about me. It's always about whatever God tells me to do. That's it. Um, I never sit here and think, oh, well, you know, my, I'm doing this career because I want to be big. I'm like, I honestly think it's okay. Well, you know what? This is what I was told to do right now. This is what I feel like I'm going to do. And just seeing where that goes, because that was this divine inspiration that I got. And I, that's how I view everything as a mystic is everything just kind of comes from that. So when it comes to being vulnerable, and see this segue is not a proper segue. Um, when it comes to being vulnerable, for me, I don't look at it as, oh, well, I'm going to go inspire people today. I just kind of look at it as something inside of me says, like this really strong knowing of, hey, you should talk about this. And because I feel that and I trust it so much, I'm like, oh, okay, sure. And so I talk about it and I say it and like, for example, with ROCD, I talk a lot about having ROCD, which is relationship anxiety, uh, relationship OCD, which is really kind of like relationship anxiety meets OCD type of thing. And I talk a lot about that. And for whatever reason, so many people still find all of my threads about it. And they message me and they're like, hey, you know, I saw your tweets. I went out and I actually started therapy or saw your tweets. It just kind of been creeping on you for a while. I just want to let you know, like I proposed to my girlfriend the other night. And that's like this really big deal with ROCD because the whole time you're terrified of this, of a relationship, essentially, like you're terrified of the thing that you want the most. And so for people to say, Hey, you know, I went and saw a therapist or, um, I started trying to kind of work on it, or I told my partner about this, or I, you know, I proposed to my partner. I like, I moved up my partner, like all these stories that fill my feeds, like that's the coolest thing to me. And I, it kind of just keeps telling me like, okay, anytime I get that feeling of just a knowing I need to keep doing it because it's not about me. Like back to that whole um, tapestry thing. None of this is about me. It like, I honestly do think everything that I do, I'm doing because of some divine inspiration is telling me at this point, you have to do this. And, you know, whether you want to call it like glorifying God or following your intuition, which I, I don't like the word intuition. That, that makes me feel really icky. <laughs> I, I can go to another tangent. About that later on. But like, 
following that knowing of like this is what you have to do right now that's all it is for me it isn't about like oh well you know i'm vulnerability inspires me now that being said i think it's important for us to be vulnerable because like as i was saying earlier when we just say hey this is what i'm feeling it strengthens our relationships because we're like everyone's so desperate for people to say hey by the way i'm not feeling the best or by the way i'm not as great as you think i am like i'm i'm you know human i I have fears and all that stuff. We're waiting for people to be real because it gives us permission to be real. And I think that vulnerability is also way more attractive than being fake and being, you know, trying to be a character or an actor in a theater because we want people that we can understand. We want people that we can relate to. And for example, if I tell you, hey, you know what? I woke up and I was just, I was so anxious this morning. Do you ever get that way? Right, you're gonna be like, oh my God, yes. Let me tell you about last week. (laughs) Every day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you know, it even opens up a conversation for like, you know, us to talk about it and to say, hey, you know what's really helped me is doing X, Y, Z. Like a lot of my conversation with my friends is like, them just coming to me and saying, Hey, you know what? I'm not like, I, I wanted to go and eat, but you know, I I got really anxious. Do you have any ways that like, maybe when you get that way that help you or them asking me, Hey, is it normal to feel this? Like, I get that a lot from people is like, Hey, is it normal to, you know, do X, Y, Z or Kate, can you tell me what, what the brain is doing when I get really, really anxious and I just want to run out my body? Like, what is that? And I think that's really cool that, you know, we're able to talk about these things because it makes you feel like you're less of a freak. Like when you can say, Hey, that's actually really normal. Like, you know, what's happening. You have a lot of cortisol in your body and X, Y, Z, or, you know, B's happening. Like then people can actually sit there and say, Oh, it's not about me. Like we we can separate us from our bodies. So it's not about me. It's just about whatever the hell my body's doing. Or it's, it's, it's funny. It's funny. Cause like, um, I was my current job. I, I was maybe like three months in and I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? I want to write there. There was something going on that it was very mental health focused. And I was like, you know what? I want to write, I want to write about this. I want to write about my journey. I want to write about like what I've done and, and see, see if it, if it impacts other people and, and stuff like that. And so mm-hmm. I, I wrote it and or I approached the person that runs the blog at my at my work and she's like whoa you really want to talk about that and I thought I mm-hmm. thought it I thought it was kind of interesting I was like yeah I, I do I, I I'm not hiding anything like I <laughs> I take 60 milligrams of this every night I mm-hmm. focus on doing this every morning this is this is me this is what I do and if people don't accept it, they don't accept it. I can't tell you how many people after I wrote that in my department approached me and said like, Hey, this is also, I'm so glad you opened up about this. Like you, I know you're new. We're just meeting you, but, um, it's, it's really cool to see this. This is, this is me. I have, I do A, B, C, and D, and I still have anxiety. And just like being able to have that conversation is is really cool. And I, I yeah, like you said, the tapestry. It's, yeah, and I think another thing with it is a lot of people kind of like to say, "Oh, I'm being really vulnerable. I'm doing this," but then they're trying to do it for like some glory. And I think mm-hmm. that also kind of makes people feel less like, "Oh, well, then I don't want to have this conversation." 
And it's like, you can tell when someone's genuine and you can tell when they're doing it because, you know, they, they just want to like profit off of mental health or to, I guess profit is not the best word, but like to kind of join the conversation, but not authentically to kind of just say, Hey, like me too. Like I'm part of this. I feel anxious. And then you can just tell they're lying to you because they're trying to get something from you. And I've just, I've had a lot of people come to me, especially with like OCD, where they're just like, Hey, I, like, I want I want to share my story. I want to talk about my story, but I'm so just kind of off put because, you know, this life coach or whatever, or, you know, random Twitter influencer or someone is telling me it's supposed to look this way. And I think that when we're so vulnerable about our stories, not even just for the sake of, oh, because, you know, I'm hoping somebody sees this. Cause I really think if like, I honestly think, cause we're all this connected tapestry, even if you do it for one person, there's always going to be one person who benefits from whatever you say. Like, even if right now this podcast, you're the only person who benefits from our conversation today, everything's worth it because you're getting something from it. And I honestly think that the entire universe, the world, God, whatever will shift everything just for one person's prayer and one person's desire. Like I firmly believe in that, which is why I think that when we have a feeling to be so vulnerable or to be so honest with ourselves, we have to do it. Like it's a kind of duty almost because everything will shift just to meet one person's prayer. And if you get to be a part of that, like your story can help so many people or you're that important to the world. And I think a lot of people, they think, oh, well, you know, maybe somebody will care about it. Maybe somebody won't. And I think that's also like, we're so afraid of being vulnerable because we think maybe no one will care. Right. Cause then that feels like an instant rejection. And my idea is, you know what? You will never know the person who needs you the most. You will never meet them. They may find you just on Twitter or they may read a book of yours or whatever. You, either way, you may never, ever meet them. Or it may be 10 years down the line after you die, somebody picks up your book and feels something. But it's important you do it anyway because everything is shifting just for one person on their behalf. And just as you would want someone to go forward with something to answer your prayer, you should do that for other people. And I think when you even do that, it gets less scary to be vulnerable. Like for me, I don't think about it. It's like when you ask me these questions, I'm just like, wait, I have to think about it for like the first time in a while, because to me, it's just, it's natural. It's just me saying something like, Hey, this is my journey at from 22 to 25. That's nothing. That's like me telling you about the weather right now, which is surprisingly sunny. Um, it, it doesn't mean anything to me. Sure, sure. Rub it in. I'm getting two feet of yeah. snow and, and it's We're, nice and sunny out there. We are there. too. <laughs> we are too. It's just, this is like, the thing with Michigan is like, it's sunny right now. Then it's going to start raining and then we're going to get hail and then snow and then somehow a tsunami. Like Michigan will get five seasons, even though there's only four, all in one. Like so, in one day. It's just, that's how it works in Michigan. I, I cannot describe it unless you live in Michigan. <laughs> so so I, lo- I love that. I loved how you, you were talking about like, you, you, you'll never know the, sometimes you'll never know the person. Like mm-hmm. it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, of the line in Hamilton, the, the, uh, what is your legacy? It's building a garden. You'll never see. Like, it, yeah, it, I just, I love that because it's, it, you never know who you're going to impact. Even, even like you said, if somebody five years from now accidentally bumps into this podcast, like, they, they may, mm-hmm. uh, they might listen to one or two episodes and it, it might be like, wow, I, I want to, I want to talk more about this. And they're going to yeah, be like, like, oh, Dan dropped off the face of the earth and isn't doing that podcast. Anymore. 
Well, okay, so two examples. Um, one, I actually I have this DM open right now because you, you reminded me of this where, so the very first issue of Bored, we took this guy named Jake and we, he's a musician, Jake Hellenhorf. I'm so sorry that I'm gonna say that wrong. Um, so Jake is this awesome musician and we put him on Dord. I think he was on like one of our feature pages and you know, we went on with life. And then almost eight months later, one of his friends messages me and he's like, Hey, I'm a friend of Jake. Just want to let you know, like I'm a med student. I appreciate the positivity. And like you talking about this is really helping me go on my day and go on with like my job and all that stuff. Right. So because I talk about like things like patient advocacy and OCD and anxiety right now, that person who is going into the medical field can now take that and put it into his patients. And then so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, right? So you will never know your impact. And obviously like, I'm kind of probably exaggerating my impact a little bit, but like, you never know. Or um, my agent has me bookmark every single time somebody says something nice about my writing, because when my book goes out, she wants me to remember that like, I may not think that my book is ever gonna be super successful or you know, a year down the line, I may be like, wow, it didn't sell as many as I thought it would because she wants me to remember it's not about the actual sales for my first book. It's about the number of people who sit there and they're like, wow, like that, like that person described exactly what I'm feeling right now. And it may be after I die. Like somebody may pick up my book at a thrift store after I die and be like, you know, casually read the line for that they get for like a dollar in a dump bin and be like, wow, you know what? That describes love. Like that is it. Like I'm going to stay in this relationship because that speaks to me. Right. And that's so long after I'm gone, but that's our impact with people. Um, and like a way to illustrate that is, do you remember the guys who microwave stuff? Like, do you remember the YouTube channel? Yes. Where it's yeah. like the guys. Yes. Okay. They stopped making those types of videos. I think six, seven years ago, they, they don't do those videos anymore. They're, they're not even on YouTube anymore. I can't find them anywhere. Right. But I still watch those guys every single time I'm like in an anxious spiral. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go watch the microwave guys. And that will get me out of my spiral. And I guarantee you, those guys who were like college kids at the time never sought out to go and, you know, help somebody through their anxiety or through their crappy mood. They just wanted to go and see what would happen. And then they put on videos and made people happy. And like, they don't do it anymore, right? But I'm still here, this person who grew up watching their videos, you know, God, maybe some of them, I think like 10 years later, pulling it up and for like the eighth time being like, I wonder what happens if you microwave a volleyball. Like, let me watch this <laughs> because that I know that's going to make me laugh and that's going to get me out of my mood. Right. And so they don't know their impact, but to me, that's a really big deal is if I can get out of a mood in five minutes, that sets up my entire day. Cause then I'm not continually spiraling and whatever you put out into the world, like for example, with your children's book. And I, I'm saying this because I know you're currently struggling to write it is with your children's book, you don't know who is going to impact, right? Like for example, your children's book may end up in a school library. And let's say you see like a, just a regular stream of sales. It doesn't do super successful, doesn't do bad. It's just a regular stream. Ends up in a library, say six years after the release, some kid picks it up while their classmates are like doing other things and they flip open to a page and they, they can read it really easily. And maybe this kid struggles with reading or confidence around writing. And they read it and they're like, huh, that reminds me of me. 
And then they go and they put the book in the bag, check it out, read it, tell their friends about it, tell their parent about it. Next day, you know, they dump it, you know, bring it back. And then they move on with their lives. And then say 12 years down the line, this kid's sitting here in class and he's thinking, you know what? I, I know I'm reading Charles Dickens right now, but I remember this book and it used a line just like this when I was a kid. Like for me, um, Meg Cabot, I haven't read a Meg Cabot book in God, maybe 16 years. And Meg Cabot was my favorite author ever, like Princess Diaries and everything. But as I was sitting here um, the other day, I was like, you know, I'm really struggling to write my book. It's like, I thought back to like Meg Cabot books as a reminder that, hey, books actually do get finished. Like people actually do finish their book from idea to publication to all that stuff. And I guarantee you, Meg Cabot was not sitting there writing Princess Diaries thinking, you know what, some X number of years later, Deanna, who read the book as a child, <laughs> is going to think of my book in remembrance that her book can continue being written. And so I want you to kind of think of things like that. It's like, hey, you, maybe the impact is not what you think it is. Maybe it's even cooler than what you could ever imagine, but there is an impact, right? Just by you putting it out into the world, you're impacting at least one person, whether it's gonna be the editor, someone the editor knows, someone who finds you online, um, you know, maybe someone who picks up the book after you're dead or whatever, right? It's going to have an impact on something. And that's why we have to do it because well, that something matters. It's, it's funny. It's funny you say that because what kind of kicked my inspiration to do the children's book was mm -hmm. because I picked up a copy of Frog and Toad, which was my favorite, <laughs> favorite growing up. I had um, yeah. my, my, I had my book buddy, shout out Kristen Doe, always mm -hmm. read, always read it for me. And then I picked, I picked it up and I was reading it to my kids the other day. And they were laughing. They were laughing. We were re yeah. reading. We were reading the the one that they go sledding, and Toad is like terrified mm -hmm. of it, and then Frog falls off, <laughs> and and so like that kind of like it it made me think like how cool would it be if I wrote a children's book? And just yeah. all these years later, <laughs> that that one book that I made my book buddy read over mm -hmm. and over and over and over again inspired me to start this process. Yeah. which is, which is and, da daunting and terrifying, but, <laughs> but I, I need for, for me, I need to do it for me because I need to step out of that comfort zone and do something that I've never done before. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't even say, so like when we, I'm, I'm big on like imposter syndrome and how I think it's fake. Cause it, it really is like neurologically, if you look at it, it's completely fake. Um, there's not like a neuron in your brain that says this is an imposter. What it actually is through a bunch of studies is it's, well, it's two theories because we don't know much about the brain yet. There's this thing on your brain. I think it's called the medulla, abdomedulla. It's, I will send it to you, but there's these two little pea-sized things on your brain that are at the very bottom of your brainstem. And their entire purpose that we're discovering very recently is to worst case scenario. They're part of the first part of your brain that develops and it's supposed to be to help protect you, right? So we thought for such a long time, it was the amygdala that was our worst case center. And we're finding out it's actually these two little peas, more specifically one of one size of them. But it's this thing that's firing into your amygdala, that's firing to the rest of your brain and your body and all that stuff that says, hey, you know what, you're not good enough, you're bad enough. And again, it's also why we don't want to talk badly to ourselves and to make this self-deprecating humor because then we keep getting into that habit of talking to ourselves that way and you know, 
saying, hey, I'm not good enough, so no one else can do it for me, which is really what imposter syndrome is, is saying, hey, I cannot put this thing out there because if I do, it's going to get rejected and that's going to hurt. But in reality, I don't think that things are that scary. And I'm sure I'm saying this from a sense of nativity and from being, um, you know, I'm young and I'm super privileged. Like I get that. So I, I do have to address that. But like, I honestly don't think that things are as scary as we make them out to be, right? So for example, you write a children's book. Let's say you spend a year writing a children's book. You go and you pitch it to a publisher. They reject it. Okay, another publisher. They reject it. Okay, at this point we go in and we make edits. And then we go and we pitch it to another publisher, right? And a big reason why books actually, here's an industry secret. A big reason why books get rejected is because people don't do research of what publisher actually wants a book like this. So they, they go send it out to like the big five or, you know, people who they think are going to sell it. And then those people reject it because it doesn't match what types of books they do. So what I always tell authors is go and find a bunch of books that are like the book that you want to write and then go inside the book, inside the copyright page, who is the editor and who's the publisher. Take note of that, write them down. And you're going to start noticing every single book you love. They're typically come from the same two houses those are going to be the ones that you want to talk to because those are the ones that um, love what you do like because they're looking for people like you but kind of back to your you know children's book thing right so let's say we actually then start approaching this strategically instead of just you know sending it out to like scholastic and harper collins and hatchet when you actually go and you approach it strategically your chance of getting rejected is a lot lower because they're like hey you know maybe we should take this to pub board so fine let's say you take it to pub board you wait a year and then your book gets picked up amazing awesome like that's such a win your book is picked up and then say that it goes into sales and maybe it does okay it doesn't blow out the water it does okay you know what i mean like it gets in a few libraries and stuff like that and ultimately let's say the publisher's like you know what that, that didn't do as well as we thought it would after a year oh wow right first time author you still got a book out children are still reading it and like you did this, like you did something that is so much more than what everyone who's dreaming about did. You actually did the thing. So therefore there's no hurt, right? Cause you did the damn thing. And I think when we approach it that way, it's a lot less scary. Um, cause obviously like, yeah, you know what rejection hurts having somebody look at your work and say, you know what, that that's not good. Yeah. That does hurt. Right. But you have to remember when in the, especially in the case of publishing, these are people who are experts in their field. Their job is to sell books. And we can argue all day long about, do we actually believe an editor is gold or and all that great stuff? I personally, I think an editor is worth their weight in gold. Getting a good editor is the best thing for you as a person and an author. But like, ultimately it isn't as scary as we think it is, right? Cause like, fine, maybe rejection hurts. Maybe having an expert say, hey, your book it's not that good. Like you may think it is, but it's not right. Yeah. That does hurt. But at the same time, even at that stage, like even at the stage of getting a proposal, you have done more than 80% of people you've gotten a proposal and you sent it out and there you go. Or like, let's say even at the stage of sales, right. You have done more than 95% of people. You got your book out and you got it published and you did that work. And that's something worth being proud of. Okay. And even if that fails, like, let's say, even if let's say your book completely blows up, it's horrible. It does completely like it, your worst dreams come true. Awesome. We have another book and now we know what else to do and we know how to do this better. Right. Because ultimately 
the process is never going to be about you, right? It's going to be about whoever finds that book and long-term it's going to help them and do whatever the impact it is. But like, it isn't necessarily scary, right? Like we get used to getting rejected or we get used to getting, you know, critical things. And we're going to find too, especially with book writing is as you get to your proposal and you send out your proposal, you're going to start thinking a bit more critically about your work. So you're going to start thinking, Hey, you know what? Maybe I should go and maybe I should develop that a bit more, or maybe I want to change things a little bit and you become a better writer. And that's also the process, right? That that's the thing. And I, I guess like, I wouldn't say that it's scary. And like, I'm saying that as somebody who writes a lot of books too, but like, it isn't as scary as you think, or even in like writing in a professional, like being a copywriter or doing anything creative. Like we think it's so scary because it's so vulnerable. But in the same way that we talk about vulnerability, it isn't scary to go and talk about vulnerability. Once we're in it, we're already in it. And we realize, oh, it's not that bad. Or even if like we have a hard conversation, which reminds me, I need to introduce you to Jen Dalton, who does just, she tries to talk about hard conversations. She'd be a great guest for this podcast. <laughs> but even when we do difficult things, right? We find, oh, it was never as bad as we think it is. And that actually comes from our amygdala, which is a really bad projector of what actual reality is. So anytime that you assume something's going to happen, just remember the best case scenario is actually going to happen because your amygdala is like mostly wrong. It's really, really flaky. I know there's a few places that have done studies on how accurate the amygdala is, and it's not actually that accurate. I don't have the exact number, but I know it's in the low, really, really, really low, like 17% time. I'm going to need that exact number. No. The exact number? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you and I will do a case of it. But like, honestly, when it comes down to like, do we think things are scary? Do we, do we think things are getting rejected? Do we think about like imposter syndrome and all that stuff? It really does come down to vulnerability and relationships. So nice little segue, but like, it really does kind of come down to all this stuff where we're so used to trying to protect ourselves that we assume the worst in absolutely everything, including things that we are actually passionate about or things that we have put in a lot of work into. So like when we say, oh, it's going to be really hard or really painful or really horrible to write a book, you're already rejecting it before it could even take form. And how fair would that be, right? So like, for example, um, if your kid wanted to write a book and they started writing it out on paper, you would never tell them, wow, that's no one's going to read that. You'd say, oh my God, that's the coolest thing ever. Let me see. Like that would be your natural inclination. Right. And you need to approach yourself that way too, is when you think, oh, well, you know, no one wants to read this. No, go, go and say, oh my God, who is going to want to read this? Tell me about it. Um, my biggest advice for writers, I guess, since I'm already on the tangent is <laughs> when you, when you want to write something, especially if you're a first time author, go and imagine the person that you want to read your book, whether it's going to be a child version of you, which may be what, you know, you want to do because you know, your little book or whether it's somebody that you love, or maybe it's you right now, or somebody that you've never met. Like imagine that person and then write to just that person as if you're talking to them. Like, how would you tell them the story? And then go about that way. You're gonna get a lot less scared and you're gonna get a lot less critical because all that matters is it exists. Like a lot of people think like, it's really, really, really important that it's so perfect. When you send out a proposal, Every single editor at every single publishing house knows it's a work in progress. Up until your book goes to the final printer, it's a work in progress. So they actually care a lot more about your idea and like how good it is and how much of a good writer you are, right? So in your case for children's book, 
just go write the damn book, go put it out there, go like, what would you want your child self to read? Like, what would you laugh at? How would you want to approach it? Go put that into a book just because it deserves to exist. And then let whatever happens, happens to it. So, so your ultimate message is do the damn thing. And I exactly. love Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, completely. Like I, um, since I, like with the talk of the OCD, my biggest thing is if you're afraid of something, you have to go do it. That's, that's like your duty is if you're terrified of something, you have to train that out of you. You have to go do the scary thing. That's definitely something I'm, I'm trying to do. Stop yeah. You. yeah, that's definitely something um, I've been trying to do over these, the past few years, kind of find, yeah. af- find after finding me, I've tried to do that. Mm-hmm. So it so, feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, it it does. <laughs> so I do have I do have one I, I don't want to I don't want to keep you all day. So I do have my my one trademark yes. last question that I try and ask every single person who comes on. Mm-hmm. Do you have like a message for somebody who's still trying to find their voice in in like they're still hiding they they don't they don't want to talk about it they don't they don't feel mm-hmm. that they can talk about it thanks a lot stigma um do you have a message for that person to kind of um find their voice well two things one what would you do if it was easy how would you approach it if it was easy how would you talk about it if it was easy what would you do if it was easy? Even if you don't necessarily want to talk about your mental health, but if you, like, for example, if your mental health stops you from doing something, whether it be a relationship or going hiking or whatever it is, if it was easy, what would you do? And then take those steps. And then the other thing is there's this giant movement around healing. Like we all think healing, 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 healing. We need to be in the process of healing. And in reality, there's no such thing. It's not about healing. And we're always going to spend our entire lives healing, right? Whether or not healing from the next thing or healing from our lives, like that never goes away. So I think to call it healing implies that there's an end goal. When in reality, it's just moving forward. And I think if I ever had to go back and tell myself at my very worst, what I know now, I would ultimately say, just follow love like follow whatever feels like love to you. Because as you do that, you're going to discover yourself, whether it's going to be your voice or whether it's other people or people who treat you well, just whatever it is, like follow your love, follow your passion. Um, A lot of writers talk about that too, where the point of life is to follow whatever lights you up. But I think it kind of goes a little bit beyond that because not all of us have a thing that lights us up and we're all chasing that. But in reality, not all of us are going to be creatives or not all of us are going to go and be, you know, accountants or people who find a purpose. Some of us are going to have multiple purposes or some of us won't even have a vocation. It's all these things, right? Like that's just, you're, you're made what you are. But ultimately we're all going to have a lot of love, whether it's how I give you love or how do I give myself love or you know, learning to define love. And that would be the biggest thing is if I could go back at like 18 years old as a person who'd even believe in love, who thought like love was hormones. And you know, like I honestly thought like love is hormones that tell you to have a baby. Like that's it, it's fake, it's not real, it's Hallmark. And then I had to crash straight into it, right? But 
I would honestly tell myself is just go follow whatever love feels like at the moment. And even if it doesn't feel like if say looking back, you realize, oh, wow, from this period of my life, that was not love. You still follow it because it ultimately gets you to where you need to be. And as I mentioned before, there's no, you can't do this wrong. There's no path. This is your path. Like your path is what it is. I don't believe in free will. I don't believe that we can screw anything up. I think that there's only like one actual path, but we think we can screw things up. In reality, all you can just do is just go forward. Like it's completely impossible for you to screw up what your life is going to be like, because there only is one way. Even if you kind of get off track or even if you think you get off track, you're ultimately going to come back to where you need to be because that's just how life works. Like every single thing you were ever going to do is planned out. All you have to do is exist in it. And like, you get a lot more comfortable with being vulnerable in yourself as you discover love. Like I didn't know who I was at all until, you know, I started accepting that love is a thing and letting myself fall in love and letting myself explore, you know, what do I think relationships should look like? And what do I think, you know, my relationship with myself should look like. And that was how I discovered myself was through learning what does a healthy relationship look like and what do boundaries look like and all of these things. So ultimately I would say that is if you're struggling with you, just go follow love, whatever the hell you think it is at this moment. And every single time it changes, just let yourself go and take those different turns and stop looking at this thing of like, oh, well, on to the next thing because there is no next thing it just it is what it is and all you can do in life is just follow that path that's amazing <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> the, 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 like i i feel like my brain is going to explode but at the same time like that has given that has given me like i i will probably think about that all day like that that you, line you have of, to tell me what you come up with oh man yeah I, I don't know if you want to but uh, <laughs> no, that, I'm I'm interested that's like my favorite thing is to talk about love honestly because like it was so influential for me it's like I honestly thought like oh well love is only romantic love is this and even through chasing romantic love I became myself because love requires you to become more of yourself and you know, you die for love and love is sacrifice. And there's so many facets of it, but ultimately that's how we find ourselves both in safe relation, both in wrong relation, both in relation to self and others and all that great stuff. So yeah, I, I really think that's what it comes down to is like thinking, how do you find yourself is completely through love and loving others. And, you know, even if you love the environment or if you love trees, like you can find something that you love. Like even on my worst days, I still go out and I feed my birds outside because if anything, you can love those birds. Cause even if everything goes to hell, they're still there. And like, that's kind of cool and kind of beautiful that like, there's so much detail on like a little birdie and all that stuff. Well, I, I can't tell you how thankful I am to have you on this and, and be, befriend you on Twitter. Cause it's, it's, it's made a huge impact on me. And I, I hope that this, this podcast helps help somebody somewhere in, in finding, hey, hey, finding hey, their that, life. That is a, that's a negative thought. Oh, is it? Everyone, everyone, <laughs> well, maybe not everyone, this will find whoever needs it the most. And you are going to make such an impact on someone's life. And you don't even know how that's going to transfer over. Cause like it may impact them and then they're going to impact somebody else. And 
there's this idea by Mastin Kip where he's a trauma-informed trainer. And he says that when you heal your genera generational trauma, you're actually changing the lineage for like the seven generations that come after you. And obviously that's an exaggerated number, but I think even every single time that you do something like this, like whether it's teaching people how to talk about themselves, like when someone says something bad, like correcting them and saying, hey, no, 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 we don't do that. Or inspiring somebody or even putting your work into the world, you are changing someone else's lineage or you're changing how they may approach something, right? Like if I talk about love, maybe three people out of everyone I will ever meet take something from that. And then they say, oh my God, you know what? I'm going to go and apologize to my partner. Or I'm going to go and love somebody a little bit more. You know what? I feel so inspired. I'm going to go and like make a big donation somewhere and just exist in that feeling. And then that branches out and that branches out. And we have a lot more of an impact on people than we think. So I honestly do think that you may not know it or you may not see it, but everything that you do, especially this podcast, you are making little branches into someone else's life. And that itself is important. Well, now I'm going to correct myself. This, <laughs> this very podcast with mm -hmm. Diana is going to find the person that it needs to find. So Absolutely. thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank, <laughs> thank you for, you for being having on. me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I will continue to follow you on Twitter. Everybody follow her on Twitter <laughs> if you're on Twitter because she will bring lots of positivity to your timeline and it will, <laughs> it will make a huge difference in whoever it needs to make a difference beautiful you're, you're getting the hang of it i'm, I'm getting there <laughs> thank you thank you thank you mm -hmm. enjoy your weekend you too again a huge thank you to diana for coming on the podcast and getting me rolling with this again Again, I have a, a bunch of people lined up, so get ready for episodes. I'm going to start releasing on Wednesdays, so I mean, if you're looking at this, it's probably Wednesday, maybe. Um, but it's uh, it's cathartic. It's it's a cathartic practice for me to to work on speaking, looking at myself in the mirror, practicing talking. Um, just the just the experience of interviewing is is always a, been a challenge for me and it's 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 fun to it's fun to do it's fun to practice and i appreciate everyone who comes on here and and works with me and and encourages me and i i think i think this is an important conversation for us to have and it always will be and I apologize for being away for a year. I, I, I know it's, I, I know it's hard. It's, it's, it's a pandemic. We've got a lot of stuff going on and, and, uh, but I, I, I I'm, I'm going to keep this rolling and, uh, thank you to all the people who have supported this podcast from the start and listened from the start. Hi mom. Love you. Um, if you're new, uh, welcome aboard. And, and as always, just make sure, make sure you're, uh, give me feedback. Cause I'm, I'm one that always needs feedback and it makes me better, makes me work harder and, um, it'll make, it will make the product better and maybe, maybe expand the reach a little bit. And so we can keep this conversation going. So 
make sure you're following Deanna on Twitter because she's an awesome follow. Lots of great insight. Um, very interactive. She'll she'll talk. She'll speak right back to you if she's if you're doing something that she thinks that she she can help you with. She she will help you. I I I can't tell you how much she's helped me with my writing and my self confidence, especially recently. Um, follow, feel free to follow me on on Twitter at DQ for you. I'm always I'm always on there uh, where I work for social in social media. So so it's it's pretty much my life. So um, I'm always I'm always on. I'll usually chime back if pretty pretty quickly if if you uh, send me a tweet. So feel free. Um, let me know if you if you have any ideas, suggestions. I've um, I've talked to a friend about potentially doing like episodes with movies and mental health, maybe covering covering some of that stuff and. Um, I'm not quite ready to do episodes just by myself. I <laughs> it will it will come eventually, but uh, I'll I'll get there. I promise. But uh, just just keep uh, keep 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 the conversation going, and just uh, just remember if if you need help, call your doctor. It's not a sign of weakness; it's a sign of strength, and. If you if you're able to talk about it and you are willing to ask for help, that's a sign of strength. And I really applaud you. And you are you're an inspiration. Just know that. All right. So uh, I'll I'll leave it at that. And um, make sure make sure to keep an eye out for new episodes. I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon.